0: My husband, Steve, and I are bicyclists, and in the spring and summer, we will often do longer routes on Saturdays, routes about 40 miles to 60 miles in length. To prepare for such a long route, it's not only time on the bicycle to prepare for it, you have to prepare by fueling yourself properly and learning how to do it when you are on those long rides. Simply having water and Gatorade with you is not enough. You've got to know when to drink it and how much to drink it. If you wait until you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already dehydrated and you're in trouble. But if you drink too much too soon, well, then it's just sloshing around in your stomach. It's very uncomfortable. I've, I've been there. It took me several years for me to figure out how much water and how much Gatorade I needed and when I needed them because they're needed throughout the whole ride. And the amount that I use is very different from Steve's. What I have is is my own system, so to say. For many cyclists, before these long rides, we do something called carbo-loading, which means the night before and then the morning of, we'll eat things like pasta for dinner and pancakes for breakfast. But through trial and error, we found out that it's not carbo-loading that I need. I need protein. So I eat protein the morning before the rides. And then recently, I've added something to my system it's these little things called goo gels. If you're not, if you're not an athletic person, you've never seen these. Trust me. This, it's, what's in here, it's the consistency of pudding. And if you, if you mix water with it, take in water as, as you're taking it in, it's a shot of about a hundred calories. And I do it about every 10 or 11 miles. And what I've learned is that those goo gels somehow increase the endurance in my legs. And I'm able to bike better, longer. And for those long distances, rather than getting out at mile 35, I can keep going. That that endurance. And then if you talk to us about our favorite bike rides that we do, there's one thing that will always rise up that makes a bike ride better, and that's cookies at the rest stops. For me, it's Oreos. I'm looking for those Oreos or those, those oatmeal cookies that have icing on top or even sometimes Fig Newtons, but it's the cookies they're just this sweet treat when we're out there and doing the ride. And so for cyclists, you have multiple ways of nourishment, multiple ways of receiving fuel. I think the Gatorade in the water is, is with everybody. I think everybody uses that and it's used before, during, and, and after the ride. And then we've got the carbo loading that helps us for the specific event itself. And then we have things like the goo gel that helps us with endurance for the long haul that's going to take us for the distance and and keep us holding steady, but then you also look for those sweet treats. I think all of that can be said for our spiritual nourishment as well. We need a toolbox of spiritual practices, spiritual techniques that we can use to fuel us. We need something that's going to be constant, that's there before, during, and after life's events. We need some things to prep ourselves for special things, that we're about to face, we need something to fall back on for the long hauls where we've got to go the distance. But then it's also nice to have some sweet treats that just make our spiritual journey filled with more joy. Our text today: We meet Samuel. Why are you laughing? At me? You need goo gel. Oh, okay, here. Have a goo gel so you can get down to the stop sign. I'm sorry, Linda's up here giggling at me and I couldn't figure out what for. She wants my goo gel for her bicycle ride down to the quarter of mile down the road. You need a goo gel. Hundred, hundred calories to get you that quarter mile. Go for it, Linda. Try it. Try it. We meet Samuel, and in last week when we last left our story, the Israelites are now out of slavery in Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness and we had the manna and the quail. And we said that they were there for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. Well, at the end of that 40 years, God lifts up Joshua, and Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, they settle by tribes in the area. A few weeks ago, we mentioned that Jacob had 12 sons, and each of the tribes of Israel are named after those 12 sons. So these 12 tribes settle in different parts of of the land. And so the way they function, it's more like a a knitted together tribal nation. You have this loyalty to your tribe. And then if one tribe is having a squabble with an outside force, then another tribe can come in and help. But then when you have these oppressive kings that oppress the tribes and the people cry out to God, God, you gotta help us with this. God lifts up a military leader for them, but they're called judges. And when we meet Samuel, we are near the end of this period of time where the judges have ruled over Israel. In our story this morning, Samuel is still a young boy. He is living and working at the house of the Lord with Eli, the priest. So Samuel has some duties. He helps with preparing some of the sacrifices. It said in the scripture that he opened the door of the Lord. He has duties and he's, say, working at the church, but he doesn't have that personal relationship with the Lord. He has not heard God's voice yet. And the scripture tells us that it's been a silent time in Israel, that the word of God has not been heard for a while. Visions are rare. And for Samuel to react the way he did when he first hear the Lord's voice, he hadn't heard it before. He didn't know what it sounded like. I think all of us can relate to that because I think all of us have times in our lives where it's just dry. Where it's just dry where we can't hear God's voice or we want to hear God's voice or maybe we've never heard God's voice before or maybe we want to hear God speak but we're not real sure how to hear God speak and we don't know how to place ourselves where we can hear God. I think we can all relate to that. The spiritual nourishment that we receive from practices not only fuels us but it brings us closer into relationships. With the Lord, bring us closer into relationship with God. And I think one of the primary ways we do that is with prayer. But, like with all the other spiritual practices, there's a lot of different ways to pray, a lot of different styles. But what we have to keep in mind is that prayer is not just talking to God with our checklist of things we want, it's listening. But how do we listen to God if we don't know what God's voice sounds like or we haven't heard it in a while? How do we do that listening? And so for me, it's not about how you pray, when you pray, or the words that you pray. That's not the important piece, necessarily. It's the attitude that you bring to prayer. And it's settling yourself down so that you can hear, so that you can listen. So this morning, we are going to have a practical element to our sermon this morning. We are going to practice a technique called centering. And so I invite everybody, close your eyes. You might want to bow your head just a little bit. And I want you to focus on your breathing. I want you to slow that breathing down just a little bit. And I want you to take all those concerns that are floating around in your mind, all of those worries, all those anxieties, all that stuff, all that distraction, and I want you to imagine just pushing it away throwing those distractions to the side, laying them down on the ground, just pushing them. Pushing them away. And slow down your breath just a little bit more. When you have those concerns and those distractions out of your head, then I want you to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill your heart and mind. And it can be as simple as saying, Spirit, come. Spirit, coming. And just rest for a moment and be comfortable with that silence. Everybody take a deep breath in and let it out. Take a deep breath in and let it out you can open your eyes. This technique of centering helps me to focus. It helps me to focus not on this checklist of worries I'm bringing to God, but to focus on God. And to focus on this moment of just being together. It's like if you go to a coffee house to meet a friend, and you've got in your mind several things you want to talk about, and you start talking about them before the friend ever gets there, or the friend orders the coffee, or the friend even sits down, Instead, when your friend arrives, you want to just sit for a minute, right? You just say, hi. Good morning. And so the centering technique allows for that focus, that moment. When I first started using this years ago, it took longer for me to center. As you use it over time, you can center and focus faster. At least for me, I had found that. This is a technique that I use before I sit down for my quote-unquote formal prayer time. But I also use it right up here in this front pew as we begin worship every week. It's just a moment to focus and to center. So a possible tool for your toolbox, and it's easy to practice. You can practice today and, and in the coming days and see how that works for you. For many people, prayer is the water in the Gatorade. Because it's something that we use all the time, before, after, and during life's events. Prayer seems to be one of those constants. For other people, meditation and devotions and journaling is like the water in the Gatorade. For me, those things are like carbo-loading. Because that upper room that I use, which we've got new ones in the back, those devotion times, I use that before major events such as sermon preparation. That's when I'll do that, in Sunday mornings before we come here. That's my carbo-loading. But then the practice of Bible study, to me that's the goo gel. That's, that's the thing you fall back on for the long haul, is knowing what Scripture says having been in conversation with other people, and knowing what's there. That's what's going to carry us through as we're going up ill or as we're heading into the final moments. But I think in every spiritual life, we also got to have the Oreos. We got to have the sweet treats. For me, that's retreats, vacations, walking a labyrinth, Christmas Eve candlelight service. That is a treat for me. You may have sweet treats in, in your toolbox of spiritual practices. It might be reading a spiritual autobiography. It might be talking with a mentor. It might be just sitting outside for a moment. But we need all of these things. Why do we need that spiritual nourishment? Why do we need to take in those things? Some of us might say it's because I can obey Christ better. I can focus on my neighbor better. Some people say, well, you know, it just makes life better to have this in here at keeps Jesus, all of things are great, and, and all of us have our own list. But I want us to look at the Scripture this morning. I want us to see two reasons that Samuel gives us for this need for spiritual nourishment. First, we see Samuel as a priest. We see him as a priest. And then at the end of the Scripture, it says that he was a trustworthy prophet for the people. So he was a priest, and he was a prophet, and the people trusted him in those things how are we priests and prophets? How do we nourish ourselves for the tasks of being priests and prophets? To be a prophet simply is to say the word of God. Now, on the one hand, that can be easy because we can talk about God's love and we can talk about our faith and we can talk about grace and that's being a prophet. But sometimes being a prophet is not easy when you have to speak a word of love into a society that's full of hate and anger I say it all the time in here God loves all people what saddens me is that's a prophetic word that that is contrary to what others will teach and contrary to what society wants society wants us to rank people wants us to hold people down and to step on people and say no you gotta change before God's gonna love you Society wants us to say, no, God didn't come for you. No. God loves all people. And it, it hurts my heart that that's a prophetic word. Well, how do we nourish ourselves so that we can say those words that are prophetic and speak up for the truth said by someone who wants to say something else louder? I think one of the things that's key in strengthening our voice is to have an accountability group in our lives. I'm involved in an accountability group. It's called a covenant group that we get together once a month. It's women United Methodist local pastors. And we go to Dickies once a month. We eat, we laugh, we cry, we pray, we share stories. We text each other during the week. How is this going? How is that going? But most importantly, these women, <laughs> they keep my feet to the fire. When I've got doubts or when I've got fears, they won't stand for it. And they encourage me, keep preaching. Keep preaching bolder. Go bolder with that. Preach better with that. And I think we need that accountability in our lives. Yesterday when we were talking about dreams of the church, things were mentioned like having a men's group, having a ladies' group, having a choir, having groups that get together for dinner and Bible study. Over time... Those groups will become accountability groups. People that will hold you to task and say, okay, how did that go? That conversation that you had to have at work, how did that go for you? How can we pray for you? What time do we need to pray for you? Because you've got to have this conversation. Those accountability groups, I think, give us the strength to be the prophets that we're called to. The other task that Samuel has in our scripture is that of priest. As Christians, We belong to what's called the priesthood of all believers. That means that all believers are priests. Well, then what is the job of the priest? The job of the priest was to be the main conduit between the people and God. The priest would prepare the sacrifices, offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people, pray for the people, and on occasion receive a word from God that they would then give to the people. And the other task of the priest was to ensure that worship was done right, to done well. We have in the text that Samuel opened the door. Believe it or not, that's significant as a priest's role, is to open the door, call people into worship, welcome them into worship, be sure that what is being spoken about God is right and and true and teaching who God is. How do we do that in the priesthood of all believers? Well, the first thing we do is that we worship together and we make sure that worship is good, that it's done well. We welcome each other. We come. We participate. We are here. We listen to each other's joys and concerns and we pray for them. And we pray for people we've never even met. Out there in the community needs to be prayed for. And we encourage one another and we read scripture together and we learn about Jesus Christ together. That's the work of a priest. The other job of the priest is to be that conduit so for us, we are a pathway, not the pathway, but a pathway between the people in the community and Jesus Christ. That is the job of the priest, is to be there and to serve the members of the community. To be a representative of Jesus Christ in the world is the job of the priest. So the jobs of priests and prophets do apply to all of us. We've got that word of truth. We've got that conduit to Jesus Christ and it's our job to do it in such a way that as Samuel, we are found trustworthy with those tasks. It's up to us to make sure that the words we are speaking are true, trustworthy, reliable, and valuable. It's up to us to make sure that we are good with our word, that you can hold us to our word, and that when we say we're going to do something, we do it, and we follow through. We follow through on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Our task, like Samuel's, is to be trustworthy with the people of the community around us. Like Samuel, our task is to give a prophetic word. And you cannot go wrong with love and grace. And our task, like Samuel's, to be the priest. is to be a representative of Christ to the people that we serve in the community. To do those tasks, we need to fuel ourselves with spiritual nourishment. We need that toolbox of different techniques and different things that we can draw on. What works for us at different times? And the way to find that out is by practice, by playing around with different things. Ask each other, how do you, how would you pray in this situation? What is a good uplifting book you've read recently? Try out the different things and see what works for you and rest in the assurance that as you practice, As you practice and learn these techniques that work for you, the Holy Spirit is with you, filling you up and bringing you closer to Jesus Christ. So when you leave here today, take the time to practice. Take the time to try different things. Play with different things. See what's going to work for you constant. See what's going to lift you up for special events. See what's going to hold you for the long haul and find those little treats that just make our spiritual nourishment filled with joy, hope, love, peace, and grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.